Can the Black Caps square up the Test Series against England this week at the Basin Reserve? We talk to Black Cap Blair Tickner. Speaking of the Basin, we discover the sordid history behind the white domed monument on the embankment. Super Rugby men's in Opeki starts this week, so we get the lowdown. We meet an inspirational young man who says golf has been his saviour. And recognise this... We welcome the Barmy Army, who have been having a bit of a rough time in New Zealand. Kia ora, I'm Zoe George and this is The Podium, sports news but not as you know it from Stuff. The Black Caps will look to turn their fortunes around against England in the second test of the series, starting at the Basin Reserve on Friday, weather permitting. Despite the tough result in the first test, one bright light was the performance of pace bowler Blair Tickner, who made his test debut. The 29-year-old medium pace bowler from Hawke's Bay has given up some of his time. He's off to get a haircut shortly, but first, he's on the podcast. Welcome, Blair. Hey, hey guys. Thanks for having me. I've got to start by asking, were you surprised to get a call up for the test last week uh, for Mount Monganui? I mean, you're just kind of pottering around, doing your thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the test team. Yeah, I've obviously um, been in the squad for a little bit, but um, you haven't played. I think I've been in the squad for about a year now. So, yeah, it was a long process, but it was awesome to finally get the nod to play play a game. Uh, and how are the nerves heading into the Basin Reserve Test? Um, it's been a weird few days. I've, I was actually allowed to go back to Hawke's Bay um, and help out my family and so I haven't really had much time to think about it and it's actually been a nice way to get away from the game, even though it's yeah, sad times for the um, for the Bay. I see that ANZ and New Zealand Cricket have announced that the ODI against Sri Lanka on March 25th at Eden Park will be a fundraiser for the Cyclone. What does that mean to you? Yeah, it means a lot. I think unless you've sort of been there and um, seen the carnage, um, you can really understand how how much it needs and it's awesome to have the Black Caps and um, New Zealand Cricket and ANZ behind us to um, fundraise some money so every bit counts so yeah it's awesome to see. Did the Cyclone play on your mind while you were playing at the Test match in the Mount? Yeah you sort of dream about your Test debut for your whole life and having all your family there, um, friends and uh, I think at two days out the Cyclone came through and um, sort of took my mind off the game and we had no family there being able to come and then luckily my wife got there um, partway through day one and my father was actually driving generators down from Auckland to help out in Hawke's Bay and he stopped in for about an hour and saw me take the first wicket so that was pretty special and yeah it's just been a hard hard week for the Hawke's Bay so yeah have a little bright light for them is pretty special. It is very, very special. Um, so this week, you know, we're back into England. We won't talk about the scoreline from the first test. It was 200 and mumble, mumble. We just won't go there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the English have been talking a lot about the fun factor of cricket. And so do the Black Caps need to loosen up a little bit and just go for it? I think we are having fun in a way. We're just doing it the old school way and we're trying to play our own game whilst they have their own own way to play. And um, it's just yeah, two different game plans put together and obviously they got the better of us in the first test, but we, we've learned a lot going into the next one. I think um, it'll be a good game. Have the coaches come up with some new strategies or changed tactics after the first test? 
Can you give us some inside knowledge? <laughs> we never panic. We never panic. We'll just um, be better at the little things, and um, I think it will be a good good game come Friday. So will you bowl into the wind or with it? <laughs> Hopefully down it. I just depend on how many copies I buy them this week to see if I can actually bowl down one. It's pretty nice to me in the mount, but um, yeah, <laughs> wait and see. What's the secret to a perfectly poured coffee then? Go on. Um, well, for the boys, they seem not to steam their milk well, so we're just trying to teach them how to steam their milk first and then they can get onto the pour. And Devin uh, Conway is probably struggling a bit further behind, but um, Williamson and Latham are out in front at the moment. Well, Blair, it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Best of luck uh, for the Basin Reserve. I will be there cheering on the Black Caps. Best of luck, and, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. It wouldn't be an English cricket tour without the fans. The Barmy Army are here in full strength and full voice. The group are famous for their chants, but they were almost without their trumpet for the Basin Reserve Test, as Chuck Adolfi told me when he popped in for a chat from almost next door at the pub where the army are basing themselves. Morning, how are we doing? Oh, fantastic. Now I have to ask, how many Barmy Army fans are here? We're looking at around about 1,000, which which I think is double from a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's brilliant. I think, I think people are post-COVID world are just going screw it you know and and just emptying the the bank account a little bit what, what are you saving for you know can anyone join the barmy army yeah we're very welcoming and people misconstrue a bit for a, a cliquey kind of atmosphere of the same people but it, it's very very open if you support england and you're in and it doesn't have to be cricket either i know that the barmy army have traveled supporting the lions as well british lions yeah um one of the things that you're quite famed for is your chance and the trumpet have you yes. had any issues getting the trumpet into the grounds here in new zealand so not so much getting into the ground so that's been all right however this was saturday got a bit tasty on the on the banks i saw a few uh stag do's down from auckland and stuff and it it was full on saturday the bay oval was very busy lots of people in fancy dress uh which i understand is the fancy dress day here and i think a few few local lads might have got carried away a bit towards the end of the evening and our trumpeter actually had his trumpet sort of pinched out of his own hands what yeah so managed to sort of get it back off the guy he sort of got removed and since then we've sort of done a bit of a plea on social media because it, it's damaged so however go, the kind guys from cricket new zealand sort of got in contact and said well it's happened on our premises so the team are quite keen on sort of helping get it fixed so <laughs> at the moment the the trumpet has been taken by the team and they're getting it fixed and we're picking it up later on at, at training Tim Salvi's going to give it back to us. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the current state of the trumpet is is being repaired somewhere in Wellington, and we're going to get it back at the Kiwi training <laughs> session. I am so sorry that happened to you yeah. on New Zealand soil. That is that's not the Kiwi way. It's all good. Well, the Kiwi way is you know the team going to get it fixed. <laughs> they're, they're they're making that very clear. So yeah, that that is happening as we speak. Ninety nine point nine percent of every single person I've met. It, since I got on my Air New Zealand flight, even the, <laughs> even just the, the the hostess had been nothing but welcoming. Everyone, it, it, there's idiots everywhere, isn't there? And this was an idiot, so it, it's absolutely fine. 
Super Rugby is back this weekend and the person in the know is Stuff Sports reporter Joseph Pearson. Kia ora, Joe. Morning, Zoe. How are you? Not too bad. Super Rugby Opiki is back. Last year it was condensed into 10 days because of COVID, but this time we've got five full weeks of competition. Chiefs Manawa took it home last year. Can they do a double act this year? Well, it's interesting, Zoe, because last year the Chiefs were the strongest team by some distance, clearly with all the sevens players they had. Um, but none of those are playing this year, and it looks like a very open competition. Uh, the Chiefs have retained much of the squad, albeit without some of those seven stars. Um, so I'm finding it very difficult at the minute to actually pick a winner from the four because they're all very close, it looks. And a quick glance from the squad said the Blues might have the strongest team overall, but I look, I look at the Matatu squad. They've basically got the Black Ferns front row and a couple of Black Ferns back uh, forwards as well, so they might have the strongest pack. But, yeah, I'm not really sure. I can't pick a winner at this stage, which is probably good for the competition, really. Where's Ruby Tui? We're talking about big names, but Ruby Tui is not playing this season, so where is she and why is she not there? Yeah, she's just basically taken an extended break after the World Cup, as far as we know. That's what her management team have said, and she's still deciding what that deciding what's next for her career. Um, a couple of options for her to stay in 15s and commit to the Blackferns through to the next Rugby World Cup in 2025 in England, or she could be going back to sevens because of the Paris Olympics next year. But she still hasn't decided by all accounts. And yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And I guess we can't uh, not talk about the men. The Super Rugby men's competition is back uh, this week as well. Crusaders and Chiefs kicking off the season on Friday night in Christchurch. Will this be the last Super season for Crusaders coach Scott Robinson? Well, I don't know what's going on with the coaching <laughs> situation there, but um, it certainly appears so for Razor. Um, it's another storyline for the Crusaders to see him off in style. They always manage to create new storylines, which their players seem to thrive on, like beating the Blues last year in Auckland at the packed Eden Park was obviously fantastic for them. Everyone else was raging, of course, because they didn't want the Crusaders to win. But yeah, it certainly seems um, as though it is going to be Robinson's last year and the Crusaders will be desperate to give him another trophy, another trophy to um, to see him off in style, of course, before he maybe or maybe not gets the All Blacks job. Who knows? Maybe he's going to coach Fiji at the World Cup. I don't know, honestly. I don't think anyone really knows. I don't think Razor knows. So, yeah, the Crusaders will, will again be the team to beat because they, they always are, simple as that. Yeah, well, the Crusaders team to beat, but I imagine you're gunning for the Chiefs against them this weekend. Well, it's funny. Last week, the set, I was thinking about this. The semi-final last year, the Crusaders beat the Chiefs in Christchurch and this weekend's opening game is a repeat of that. The Chiefs blew blew that game completely. They had so many chances to score points and get ahead, but they I think they only ended up scoring one try when they had almost the, hot, the ball for the most of the game. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it's hard to read much into pre-season and there's a lot of disruption with All Blacks coming back and the rule I hate about the rest protocols and managed minutes, etc. So... Yeah, because Crusaders at home, it's hard to look past them in the first week of the season. Well, thanks so much, Joe. We'll be coming to you throughout the Super Opeki and Men's Super season. Uh, thanks so much. All good, thank you. Golfers may be mad keen about their sport, but there are not many who can say it helped them learn to walk. Guy Harrison is a young university student and all abilities golfer who is currently ranked number eight in the world and number two in New Zealand under the rankings for players with disabilities. He told producer Philippa Tolley a medical event as a young child left him with a host of physical challenges. When I was three years old, I had a massive seizure and the doctors pretty much told us I was going to end up in a wheelchair. 
I mean, with my dad being a, a PE teacher and my mum being passionate, we needed to think of a sport that I could do to get me walking around. Over a fair bit of time, dad thought of golf. I mean, I used to go out with dad every Friday after school and have a hit with him and then just started loving the game and just went from there. What was the implication that left you with, you know, this physical difficulty? I mean, after the seizure, it caused me to have brain damage. I mean, the brain damage caused me to be diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which mainly affects my uh, major joints, affects my walking. My speech isn't the best. I mean, had to go through heaps of speech therapy through school and also uh, majorly affects my fine movement skills. I mean, I couldn't tie up my shoelaces until I was about nine. Um, people who helped me throughout my life have been able to be able to do the mainstream things that heaps of people take for granted. So out on the golf course, what age did you start going out with, with your father to try and, you know, work on, on helping to improve some of those skills that you needed to work on? The first time I went out, I was five years old. Always the big goal was, I need to beat Dad. This is the goal. That mean, I went out to the local nine-hole course back home called Aotaro. That mean, it was perfect course, small holes, nine holes. Then I wouldn't get too tired with my being so young. And then wouldn't be getting bored also, but I do tire over time. I mean, being a little nine-hole course is a perfect course to start things off. So what could you do at that age? I know I used to caddy for my father and I was allowed to oh, yeah. putt for him. I don't know why he put up with that. But when you started at such a young age, what were you able to do with on the golf course? Were you able to tee off? Did you just putt? What did you do? Um, that mean I had two clubs, a five iron and a putter, and I just hit. Um, I, up to 10 shots, then my, I'd take my ball up to the green and then have a few putts like this. And then over time, I would be getting easily under the 10 shots and then just went from there. Did it actually help you physically or was it just that you really love being out playing golf and being with Dad? Um, honestly, golf have been my saviour. That mean doctors and stuff um, said I should be in a wheelchair. And with the movement of golf, using all your limbs and stuff. Golf have been the perfect sport to keep me mobile, using my upper body and giving me a chance to walk around with my legs, um, walking heaps of caves to keep me fit too. That means golf is my saviour and also do a bit of swimming too. That mean mix of those two sports have been key. Were you interested in other sports? Were you doing golf because it was just good for you or did you, did you love it or did you just play heaps of different things when you were younger? Um, like a lot of people out there, um, you start golf and it's pretty easy to get addicted to it. Every time you went out, you want to beat your score. But growing up through school at Bledisloe, I, I was the kid who wanted to try everything. Then we did football mainly and with golf also through primary school. And then when I got the intermediate, I got into running. I mean, the goal with running was I always wanted to go to the Power Olympics. I mean, through um, being year seven all the way through to the end of high schools, I did running. I was lucky enough to win over the World Junior Para-Athletics Championships back in 2017. And now I'm doing a bit of swimming and sticking with my golf. Um, the big thing with me is I tire very easily that, and my balance isn't particularly good. That mean, in a lot of events in the past few years, I have been leading after the first day and with about four to five holes moving into the second day, my body would just tire out and I'd fold away. And also when I start getting tired, my balance get a little bit off. And with golf being a sport, you have to be perfect. I'd be spraying it a lot more. That mean over playing heaps of golf and just trying to get um, golf fit have been key for me to be able to keep keeping it when I get tired. 
Does that mean you adopt a different type of technique to sort of deal with some of those challenges, you know, the balance and the like? No, I mean, for me, um, a lot of coaches say you have to transfer the weight to your front foot. And with my front foot not having any balance, I, I would swing up, swing through and take a few steps after my shot. Then I can transfer the weight. Then I can get a clean connection every time. It looks a little bit weird. But due to not having any balance in my legs, it works out well for me. Do you think we're making progress and seeing the opportunities for people with different abilities to be able to get involved with sport, or is there still a long way to go? There have been massive improvements. It's been so cool, especially in the last few years. Heaps of heaps more organisations, clubs are keen to get involved. Here is still a long way to go, but at least we're moving and we are moving in the right direction, which is really good to see. And give it few more years I'm sure more and more organisations will be keen and hopefully um, one day it'll just be the norm. Now a very important question have you beaten your father yet? Yes I got him. <laughs> Excellent. I got him. <laughs> nah that mean uh, dad's cool because I bet him when I was I think I was around 12 or 13 for the first time um, now we play dad plays off of 28 that mean uh, he brings in all the rules to make it interesting um, started with we'd be off the stick and then I'd give him five shots now it's up to 18 shots now he brings out the role if he beat me on the hole he wins which is kind of good that keeps me switched on for the whole game but I always enjoy playing with my dad and it's such a cool relationship to have but yeah I got the win which is good If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Here's what else is making headlines. In basketball, the Tall Blacks have two World Cup qualifier games this week. The first is against Saudi Arabia at Christchurch Arena on Friday, then against Lebanon at TSB Arena Wellington on Monday. In netball, the Central Pulse are pausing their preparations for the ANZ Championship to raise funds through special coaching clinics for those impacted by Cyclone Gabriel in Kilburnie this afternoon. The New Zealand women's ice hockey team have started their Division II World Championships with an emphatic 15-1 win over Croatia. They now face South Africa, Belgium and Australia over the next couple of days. And kia ora to those competing in Tamatatini, the Olympics of Kapahaka at Eden Park on until Saturday. The Basin Reserve is, of course, the home of cricket in Wellington, but it is also the home to a white domed structure with Greek columns that commemorates William Wakefield. It was built in the late 1800s and has been in its current position since 2007, but now there are calls for it to be removed. But why? To tell us more about the sordid history behind the man it memorialises, we're joined by former academic Dr Violetta Gillibit. Welcome to the podium. Thanks for having me, Zoe. Great to be here. Uh, who is William Wakefield and what is the sordid history? Well, um, to get started with the basics, William Wakefield is the younger brother of Edward Gibbon Wakefield, who was the head of the New Zealand company and uh, very much involved with the early settlement of New Zealand. Um, 
William Wakefield himself, he was one of Wellington's earliest settlers, hence the Basin Memorial, I assume, the position of that, and uh, the number of streets and hospitals and reserves and other locations that are named after him and his family as well. Um, but as you say, he's less well-known for his kidnapping conviction. What? <laughs> Truly. Uh, it's it's quite an intense uh record to have as somebody who is um, so uh, has so prominent in New Zealand's history. But yeah, less well known. Um, he served three years alongside his brother, Edward Gibbon Wakefield, for kidnapping before they began their colonial escapades in New Zealand and elsewhere. It was a 15-year-old heiress who then one of them married. Is that right? That's correct. So um, Ellen Turner, she was actually 14 at the time she was kidnapped, but by the time of their conviction, she was 15 and she was uh, from a wealthy family. The goal, so this was Edward Gibbon Wakefield, the head of the New Zealand company, and William Wakefield. Uh, in it together, they both got the same sentence. Essentially, this kidnapping plot, their goal was to convince Ellen Turner by deception to marry Edward Gibbon Wakefield and thereby to gain access to her father's and her family's money, as well as to her father's political influence. He was the Sheriff of Cheshire, which was quite an important title. And so they had their eye on Parliament and also on that fortune. Um, they were looking to restore a declining family fortune of their own. And so through Ellen's finances and her political connections, they hoped to get their family uh, in a very good position. That was the plan, long story short. So we've got this monument at the Basin Reserve. It memorialises Wakefield, William Wakefield, who is a problematic character. Is that memorial still relevant today? All of our public memorials, our statues of historical figures, uh, anything that commemorates the past um, certainly sends a message about we, what we value in the present and what we see as being worthwhile um, to have a have presence in the public space. So um, people, I wouldn't see it uh, in terms of uh, being inherently historical or in terms of removing or changing any monuments as uh, erasing history. Um, people don't learn history from looking at statues and looking at monuments by and large, or, or looking at street signs for that matter. But people certainly uh, get, a, get a message from those memorials and those monuments about what we value and also what we don't value. Certainly where William Wakefield's checkered history is concerned, both in regards to his treatment of women and his treatment of Iwi as a land purchase agent, it certainly it doesn't send a strong message that folks from those groups that their comfort is valued on par with people who weren't affected negatively by the actions of William Wakefield and um, by others like him. The Basin Reserve Trust and Cricket Wellington provided a statement saying they are open to discussing the future of the memorial and its appropriateness in today's society. And you can read more about this story at stuff.co.nz on Saturday. And just on the last word on the cricket, we better give it to the Barmy Army. He's big, he's bad. He is now a dad, Stuart Broad. Stuart Broad. There we go. Well, we go. it's going to be lots of fun. Thank you so much, Chuck. I hate to say it, but go the black caps. <laughs> <laughs> Easy win. Easy win for our Kiwis, McCullum and Stokes. <laughs> and that's it for the podium. I'm Zoe George, and on behalf of our guests this week, producer Philippa Tully and audio editor Connor Scott, thanks for listening. You can get in touch with us now. Tell me, what's your favourite minority sport that you'd love to hear on the podium? 
email us, thepodium at stuff.co.nz. And don't forget to like, follow and share us wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode. Until next week, ka kite anō, go well.